Section 6 of Northern Trails Book 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Melissa Jean. Northern Trails Book 2 by William J. Long. The Trail of the Cunning One, Part 1. That night, in the queer little hunting camp by the river, while the birch logs glowed on the stone hearth and sang for the last time the old songs which the winds had taught them, old Newell answered my questions about the fisher we had caught and told me of his lonely trapper's life and the many trails he had followed under his skilful hands as he worked pequam's glossy skin changed its face and crept down to the very end of the long cedar stretcher ready at last to take its place in the row of martin and fox and otter pelts that hung outside touched and made fragrant by the wood smoke and turning turning for the last breath of the forest wind that stole in through the sides of the little kamusi what puzzled and interested me the most was the indian's confident declaration that pequam had neither seen nor winded him that morning but had simply felt the presence of an enemy on his trail and so had taken to doubling and travelling among the branches in order to throw him off the track now i tell you now he said earnestly in answer to my suggestion that it was merely a precautionary measure such as the bear takes before denning for the winter pequam just same all animals no good many ting without knowing how he know so long you just watch him animal he don't fraid to all don't see don't hear don't smell everything just right go on feedin playin feel good inside now you go get gun follow his footing bime by he stop wag his ears sniff sniff look all round de hoods don't hear don't see don't smell nothin get fraid and run way just same plenty black cat in these woods you follow and find out for yourself it was the old question that one runs up against everywhere in the woods and his own hunting and in the experience of woodsmen the unknown sixth sense or feeling of danger which sometimes warns a creature beyond the reach of any known sense and which seems to imply a kind of silent mental communication among animals several times since then i have followed pequam's trail and learned something about his hunting and in every case we have found much to justify the indian's conclusion when pequam kills a large animal and gorges himself he goes but a mile or two often making less than that and hides him away to sleep making but slight effort to confuse his trail follow it now quietly and you see where it disappears in the snow and somewhere just beyond you will find pequam asleep in a hollow log but if you find the fresh track where he returns to his kill and follow it swiftly before he has settled down to sleep he begins doubling and tunneling and travelling overhead long before it would seem possible that any sight or sound or smell of you could drift away over the hills to where the cunning one is hiding his trail from the tell-tale snow once while following a fresh track old newell had a curious experience of pequam's cunning and last summer when i noticed a fisher's track on the shore of the grassy pond under Catdin, my guide told me unasked of a similar occurrence which he had himself witnessed last spring when he was trapping among the Swordnahook Mountains. Newell found where Pequam had killed a deer on the crust, and followed the trail through the soft snow that had fallen overnight, not half an hour after the fisher had left it. Mile after mile he swept along on his snowshoes, through the swamps and over the hills, pushing the fisher hard and unwinding swiftly every turn and double and side-jump and tunnel in the cunning trail. Pequam was heavy and tired. Two or three times Newell saw him plainly, but with his old gun whose lock he must protect from the snow he was not quick enough for a shot and still the game held on and at every turn laid some new snarl or puzzle for the old indian's eyes to unravel 
Late in the afternoon, the trail turned abruptly from the ridge, which it had been following for miles, and headed straight and swift for a cedar swamp. There were plenty of deer here. The spring hunger had driven them out of their yards, and in the early morning, or late afternoon, when the crust hardened enough to bear their weight, they could get at the cedar boughs, which till then had been too high to reach. So long as they spread their legs, or went softly, the crust would bear them up, but at the first heavy plunge they sank through to their shoulders and were almost helpless. Halfway through the swamp, the hunted fisher winded a large deer and leapt straight at him. The track showed that it was not his usual crafty hunting, but a straight, swift dive, with probably a savage snarl to add to the terror of his rush. At the first startled bound, Haytook, the buck, sank to his withers. A dozen more plunges, and he lay helpless. Pequam raced along, leapt for his throat, and gave the death wound. He watched for a moment, crouching in the snow, till the buck lay still. Then he ran on again, without stopping to eat or drink. Newell, far behind, puzzling out the trail, neither saw nor heard anything of the swift tragedy, but read it all from the snow a half-hour later. Straight back to the hills went Pequam, leisurely, carelessly now, and without making the slightest effort to hide his trail, as he had done all day, crept into the first good hollow log and slept down to sleep. Newell found him there, and wedged him in without trouble, and took his skin without sight of the spot where the deer lay stiffening in the snow. Now the curious thing about the killing is this, that Pequam was running for his life, with no time to lose or to throw away. He had already killed one deer, and had eaten more than he wanted, and, with an enemy after him, would disgorge some of what he had already carried, rather than take more to make him heavy. Indeed, after a kill and a full meal, Pequam, when no enemy is near, usually lies quiet for days at a time, drowsing away in his hollow log. A certain blind ferocity might perhaps account for his killing the deer, but that leaves his subsequent carelessness unaccounted for. And besides, unlike their smaller and more bloodthirsty kinsman the weasel, neither Fisher nor Martin seem to kill for the lust of killing. They kill only when hungry, and usually go back to any large game until it is eaten up to the very bones before they hunt or kill again. All this passed through my mind rapidly, and the Indian, in answer to my inquiries, confirmed my idea of the Fisher's ordinary habits. Then I put the final question. Why on earth, then, did Pequam kill another deer? Why he kill him dat t'other deer? Cause he tink Injun hungry, dat's why he kill him. And then, as my eyes questioned his in the firelight, Why you suppose now, Pequam follow trail herself, just same I follow him all day, ha? Huh? Cause he hungry, cause he want meat. Dat's why black cat, dat's why wolf, dat's why all animal follow trail all day long in snow. He hungry, he want meat. Bambai, roof, scratch, kill em dear. Eat em plenty, lie down sleep. Don't follow trail no more. Now I follow Pequam, continued Newell earnestly. Just same he follow deer. Pequam hide, run, climb tree, go under snow, try fool injum. All time injum keep right on. Through cedar swamp, up big hill, downside, everywhere, Pequam go. Injun follows his footing. Bye and bye, Pequam tink. Injun hungry. Injun want meat. Injun want em me. Then he go kill em deer. Ting perhaps injum eat plenty meat. Go away. Don't follow his trail no more. Startling as the explanation, there was a grain of reason in it, and I give it because I have no other to offer. Years later, when I asked the main guide how he accounted for his fisher's actions, he gave precisely the same reason, though more than ten years and two countries and many hundreds of miles separated the two occurrences. 
the black cat he said must have thought or felt in his own dumb way that by killing a deer and leaving it there untouched he might satisfy and turn aside the enemy that followed on his trail in no other way could he account for the subsequent carelessness with which the fisher left the game untouched and lay down to sleep in the first good den for pequam spite of his cunning has room in his head for only one idea at a time and so long as you let him keep that idea you may plan safely to catch him a curious instant of this came out a few days later when i took up my abode with the indian and went with him to the traps or wandered alone through the woods following the crooked trail newell had a long line of martin traps sapel line he called it following a ridge for nearly ten miles crossing the river and returning on the other side and down at the lower end was a rough log cabin where we could find shelter if taken by night or a sudden storm the traps which were scattered at intervals along the ridges were little pens made of stakes or slabs or stones inside the pen was a bait of fish or flesh and over the narrow entrance slanted a weighted log resting on a trigger so arranged that when an animal entered and seized the bait the deadfall came down promptly and broke his back as he visited the traps newell frequently carried a drag a couple of flayed muskrats tied to a string which he dragged along behind him making a scented trail from one trap to another any martin crossing this trail would turn and follow it and so come straight to one of the traps one day a large fisher struck the line and made havoc of it pequam either tore the pen to pieces or else he entered it craftily from the rear and sprung the deadfall harmlessly and then ate the bait at his leisure a dozen traps were so destroyed and one valuable martin which had been caught was eaten with the bait for nearly a month this had continued hardly a day but pequam found the line somewhere destroying traps and good martin skins until his hunger was satisfied and craftily avoiding every trap and device that newell set beside the line to catch him it was useless to follow his trail for except when he is gorged with food and heavy with sleep one might well try to run down a caribou as to chase a wide-awake fisher with the hope of catching him at my suggestion newell took up five of his large steel traps which had been set for otter and we set out one day to outwit pequam by making him think he understood our devices at a place in the line where the big fisher's visits had been most frequent we took away the triggers from three of the deadfalls in succession and propped the logs up securely so that they could not fall the pens were doubled in strength so that even pequam could not destroy them and at the entrance of each pen we placed a steel trap covered over with snow the two outside traps were left sprung and harmless but the middle one had its jaws open and ready for business and a fresh drag was made connecting the three traps and extending out a half a mile on either side my idea was that pequam would first find one of the outside traps and poke it about cautiously till he was sure it was harmless and then go straight to the next one farther down the line we tried another device in the center of a hollow stump we stuck a pole with a fresh killed rabbit swinging at the top a row of stakes was then driven about the stump their tops sharpened and pointing outward so that pequam could not reach the stump except through one entrance in the encircling fence at the entrance we left a steel trap sprung and covered it carefully with snow but in the hollow at the top of the stump was another with its hidden jaws wide open ready for pequam when he should come to pull down the pole and carry off his prize during the night a light snow fell and covered up every trace of our work two days later there was an interesting story to read in the snow pequam had followed the lion till he came to the first steel trap 
and instantly he set about understanding the new arrangement. A dozen times he went about the pen, trying every crevice with his nose and eyes. Then he came to the entrance, and very carefully scraped away the snow till the harmless trap was bare. He tried it, cautiously at first, with gentle taps and jabs of his paw, and then more and more roughly, poking and jerking it about at the end of its chain. But no warning snap followed, and nothing happened to hurt him. Whereupon he walked straight over the trap and ate the generous bait that was waiting for him. From here he loped on to the next trap, which was not harmless, and thinking he understood such things, walked straight into it. We found him nearby, with the clog caught fast at the entrance to a den among the rocks. End of section 6